Blog Talk Radio. Good day, Beatles fans, and welcome back to another episode of I Saw the Beatles. And get ready for a thrilling ride today. Hold on to your panties because we are going to be talking to none other than Angie McCartney, stepmom to Sir Paul. Uh, how you doing, Angie, today? I'm everything- splendid, thank you. How, how's, how's it going in your part of California? Oh, it's extremely hot at the moment. And, and are you anywhere near the fires? No, we're not, thank God. But not we're this well year. Aware of, of course, yes. <laughs> so, Angie, how old were you when you met Jim McCartney, Paul's dad? Uh, I was 34. And you were a single mum, huh? I was, yes. My daughter was four. And my first husband had just been killed in an automobile crash. Oh, that's so sad. So mm. sad. So you were introduced by friends, right? Yes, I had a girlfriend named uh, Bette Robbins. I'd met her at a holiday camp, and we'd remained friends for some years. And then she and her husband moved to the Isle of Wight, which is a little island off the southern coast of England. And we lost touch for a while. And then uh, my husband died, and things were pretty difficult. And uh, one day, my sister Joan was in a shop in Liverpool, and a man came rushing in and said, uh, excuse me, everybody, uh, I'm late for a funeral. Can anybody direct me to Broad Green Cemetery? So my sister spoke up and said, yes, go out of here and turn left and yada, yada, gave him directions. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're not Angela, are you? And she said, no, but I've got a sister named Angela. He said, you sound just like her. Look, let me give you my phone number. Tell An- Angela to call us. So she subsequently did. And I got in touch with Bette and Mike who lived across the other side of the Mersey from, from Liverpool. And mm-hmm. uh, we got in touch. And she said, oh, you must come and meet Uncle Jim. And I said, why? And she said, don't you remember Uncle Jim and Auntie Mary and their two little boys, Paul and Michael? And I said, yeah, years ago. I seem to remember them coming to your house for tea. And she said, well, you know who Paul is? I said, no. She said, he's Paul McCartney of the Beatles. Oh, well, talk about knock me down with a feather, you know. just about pretty famous in Liverpool and in England but uh, they hadn't done the Ed Sullivan show yet Mm -hmm. so they hadn't hit you know the big time and the whole worldwide thing so yeah she eventually arranged for us all to go and visit Jim and uh, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> now, was it was Jim living alone by that time? I mean, yes, he um, was. Paul had bought him a nice house on the Wirral Peninsula across the river from from Liverpool, and, and, uh, and he, Mike, was, he, he was sort of penned in, you know, because the fans were always outside, front and back, mm-hmm. and stealing handfuls of gravel off the drive because Paul's car had driven over it and all that stuff. <laughs> And his arthritis had set in, so he wasn't able to drive. So uh, his two sisters, Auntie Millie and Auntie Ginny, used to come over every Monday and do his laundry and cook a lot of stuff and put it in the freezer and generally clean up for him because uh, he couldn't even have a housekeeper for the same reason. Anyway, uh, 
<laughs> steal souvenirs? After a while, he said, why don't you come over one night and bring the baby with you and stay the night? So he was anxious to meet little Ruth. So this we set up, and I think it was late August of 64. Mm-hmm. And um, Jim and Ruth took to each other right away. Bear in mind, I mean, he was 28 years older than me. So it was quite mm-hmm. something for him to consider, you know, sharing life with a four-year-old. So, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, as the evening wore on, I, I was playing the piano in the living room, and Jim came across, put his hands on my shoulders and said, uh, I want to ask you a question. And I looked up over my right shoulder and I said to him, the answer's yes. And he said, I haven't asked you the bloody question yet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so we sat on the couch and we talked things through and he talked about, you know, would you like to be my housekeeper or do you want to come and live with me or would you rather go for marriage? And I was really pretty old-fashioned in those days. And I said, well, really, with a four-year-old child, I think marriage would be my only option because I didn't want people to think I was living in sin or living over the brush, as they call it in Liverpool. So Mm -hmm. he said, okay, well, let's, uh, you know, get down to planning about it. And shortly after, the phone rang, and the phone was out in the hallway, and Jim, I heard Jim say, hello, son. Yeah, she is. Yes, I have. Yes, we are. Hold on, I'll get (laughs) off the phone (laughs) So obviously the question is, is she there? Have you asked her? And is she going to? So I walked across to the phone with my knees knocking, you know. And uh, Paul and I sort of greeted each other very hesitantly on the phone. And he said, you sound nice. I mean, what a stupid thing to say. <laughs> he was uh, well, probably as, as yeah, nonplussed so you, as I was. You know, finding so out he's right. about to get a new stepmother and a new little four-year-old stepsister. So uh, he's staying tonight, so I'll jump in the car and drive up from Liverpool, and I'll see you in a couple of three hours. Because in those days, it was a long, you know, a long and winding road. The motorways Mm -hmm. didn't all connect. And uh, so eventually he came, and I was in the kitchen washing cups and saucers. We'd had numerous pots of tea through the evening, Jim and I. And uh, Mm -hmm. all came in through the garage and into the kitchen. And, of course, we didn't even have electric garage openers in those days Jim had to listen for his car coming down the road and he'd beep and Jim would rush out and open the garage door so he could drive straight in and uh, because it didn't matter what time of day or night it was there were always fans outside the gates so he came in and he said hello I'm Paul and put out his hand for me to shake and I said "Uh, yeah I think I know that (laughs) (laughs) We went through and sat in the lounge, and he said, so, well, where's little Ruth? Go and get her. So I brought her down, and, of course, she was fast asleep, rubbing her eyes. And mm-hmm. he patted his, his lap for me to put her down on his knee. So she sat on his knee, opened her eyes, and looked up and said, oh, I know you. You're on my cousin's wallpaper. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> Talk about insert, open mouth, insert foot. But it broke the eyes, and they all laughed, and... They got on great. And the following day, he took her out in the car and went to see Auntie Millie and Auntie Jenny and all over the place, you know. It was, she was like a little new toy for him, I think, a four-year-old. And he so, didn't have a sister, so this was, you know, this was... Right. Uh, and he had Mike as his brother. Yeah. Right, and all the other girls were trying to rip his clothes off at the time. So, you oh, know, yeah. Ruth was probably a breath of fresh air. Sort of, yes, that's right, because she didn't have you know, back. She was a bit overwhelmed. She didn't realize he was famous or whatever. She didn't yeah. realize 
significance of the wallpaper in my uh, niece's Wendy house in the garden. <laughs> so how long how long had you and Jim been seeing each other before he asked you to marry uh, him? We met in August and we got married on the 24th of November, 1964. Oh, so, and was it? Was it a secret wedding? I mean, did you have to oh, sneak yes. around because yes. of Paul? Oh, gosh, yes. No, well, only the immediate family knew. And um, mm-hmm. we got a taxi. And we Jim had regular uh, connections with a, a local taxi firm. I think it was called Mersey Cabs. And he called them, said, I need a taxi to come to Rembrandt and take me into North Wales. So the driver will be away for a few hours. So that was fine. The driver turned up, we got in the taxi, and uh, Jim said to him, how would you like to be best man at a wedding today? (laughs) We nearly went off the road, you know. (laughs) By the time we got to where we were going, we had to go to St. Asaph Cathedral first to get the license, which had been arranged by phone, and then Mm -hmm. on a little town called Carog in North Wales, where the same Bette Robbins, who introduced me to her Uncle Jim, Bette... Mm -hmm. A husband, Mike, had a sister, Mary, who was married to the vicar, the rector of that little parish. So that's why we planned the wedding in this quiet little spot. But lo and behold, when we got there, there was a photographer from the Daily Mirror waiting for us. So I don't know how they found it. Maybe from the person who wrote the license in St. Asaph. Who knows? I mean, we didn't have We didn't have cell phones. You know, we weren't as electronicized if that's a word as we are now but, right. so, um, but at least hey you got professional pictures no i never seen a picture of my wedding day but there was a photographer there yeah i know but i've never seen the photographs maybe they'll come to earth one of these fine days they must be in some of these archives i bet yeah but, uh, yeah, I would, yeah i would i would yeah i would think that somebody uh, i would think unless it was just a fan I would have yeah, I've tried all in the- yeah over the years to see if anybody had anything in their press archives but nothing's ever come up so oh. maybe still waiting to sell them on eBay or something you just oh. never know do you? That, it, someday maybe they will turn up somebody will find their roll of film somewhere and be like oh yes do you remember some- roll of film you have to take them to the chemist and wait for a week to get them back oh yes oh yes <laughs> Oh yeah. yes. Um, so, so when did you when did you actually get to see the Beatles perform live? Do you remember um, the first time? Yes, I think it was the following round about Christmas time. We went to London, and mm-hmm. Paul was living at Jane Asher's house at that time, and uh, he organized for Jim and I to stay in a hotel. Picked us up, uh, took us to the hotel, and we went to I think it was the Hammersmith. Odeon, if my memory serves me right. It was a big Christmas show, and Mm -hmm. Jane Asher's father was there sitting with us close in the audience, Dr. Asher. And Mm -hmm. after the show, I remember one of, I think it was probably Mal Evans came and took us backstage to go to the dressing room. And on the passageway along to the dressing room was a row of wheelchairs. People were bringing their sick children because they had this incredible thought that maybe just to be in the presence of the Beatles or be touched by them would make them well. I mean, that was mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that used to really uh, spook out John Lennon. Well, all of them, really, but John particularly. You know, mm-hmm. he used to think so strange. But God bless these people. Such was their faith in these boys. They thought they could do anything. 
Well, they were more popular than Jesus. Uh, well, that wasn't quite the way John put it. He was misquoted <laughs> by an interview we had with Maureen Cleave. And it just went around the world and, uh-huh. oh, gosh, finished up with people burning records and all sorts uh-huh. of stuff. But we know today, we know now, don't we, how the press can mislead you sometimes. Oh, yes, they're doing a lot of it these oh, days. Oh, yeah, and even tapes can be edited and videotape and film and everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you just never know what to believe quite. Yeah, maybe someday yeah. I'll play with this tape and have all kinds of interesting, make all kinds of weird you know, Andy oh, yeah. doing talking about all kinds of things that she never yeah. knew she said. Yes, um, we always used to say there's only two things you can believe about the press: the date and the price on the front page. <laughs> Good one. And you know, it wasn't far wrong, was he? Nope, was not wrong. So yeah. you're married. So you're you married in '64. Yes. And you were married for how long to, to Jim years. McCartney? 12, Twelve years. years. So, yeah. so during this time, world. during this time, you have the Beatles running in and out your front door, and not literally like that because they'd all moved down to London by then because of recording mm-hmm. commitments and travel and so forth. But uh, Paul would come home as often as he could, and mm-hmm. he'd sometimes bring John Lennon with him because by that time John didn't have a home on Merseyside. He'd bought his Aunt Mimi a house in Poole in Dorset on the coast. And Mm -hmm. uh, he had a home in Sussex, Surrey or Sussex. So he'd sometimes come up with Paul for the weekend. And the two of them would go off on old scruffy old Macs and Trilby hats, uh, fedoras, as you call them, of Jim's. (laughs) And uh, old pairs of glasses with no lenses in them. And they'd go out disguised and go on a little pub crawl or go to... Uh, they went to an auction once in a house and they were both standing at the back of different sides of the room and they kept bidding on whatever was up for sale. They didn't really know. And mm-hmm. uh, one had put their hand up and then the other had put their hand up and they were bidding against each other. And then when they found, at the end of it, they found out they'd bought the linoleum, the floor covering that they were standing on in the kitchen. <laughs> Oh wow! Oh, oh wow! Oh, and nobody mm-hmm. noticed them. Nobody did. Nobody. Oh no, they had been old ratty old Macintoshes that Jim used to do the gardening in when it was raining, and these fedoras and you know collars turned up and so on, heavily disguised. What a Just way to have fun! A few beers and some fun, you know. Yeah. So, but. Not only John, but George, I just want to confirm that, you know, George and, and Ringo at some point also stopped by your house? Yeah, no, Ringo never came to our house. He had moved down by that time, and his wife had, had little Zach, who was now big Zach, and mm-hmm. uh, he didn't come up north anymore. But I was in uh, close contact with Ringo's mum, Elsie, and mm-hmm. Harry, his stepfather. They used to come over quite often, afternoon tea, and we'd all sit in the back garden and chin wag and so on and Mimi would come occasionally John's uh, Aunt Mimi who raised him mostly and mm-hmm. uh, she was very sort of uh, withdrawn and quiet and she and Jim used to go looking at the greenhouse where Jim grew grapes and all kinds of fruits and things and mm-hmm. the pottery in the vegetable garden and uh, she just liked the quiet life you know in fact mm-hmm. she always went John was young she used to say I want you to have a proper job. I mean, this music thing's all right, but it's never going to last. 
Well, she was she was all about appearances, but right there's a there's isn't there a British show called Keeping Up Appearances? Oh yes, oh Mrs. Yes. Bouquet, yes, and yeah, that's yeah, funny. Mrs. Bucket, Violet Bucket, Mrs. Bucket. Mrs. Bouquet. Bouquet, yeah. yeah. But I guess yeah. when I think of when I think of Mimi, I think uh, that's the way I think of her. Was that? Yes. Well, she keeping wasn't up appearances. Star. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. She was. She was just uh, a very laid back. She, she wasn't somebody who was sort of fussing over what she had or anything. She was quite the opposite, really. Very reserved, and very quiet. So, of course, when all this craziness began, she too, like all the parents, was overwhelmed. You know never mm-hmm. expecting it to happen like it did. But, you know, even Ringo's mum, Ringo used to send his mum some money every month, and she showed me one time a post office savings book. She said, I put a bit of this money away every month for our Richie because, you know, when this music thing falls through, uh, you know, he'd probably like to open a little hairdresser's or something, so I'm saving a bit of it up for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, you wonder what, so don't you wonder what happened to that money? Yes, Where did that money, yeah. you know, yeah. is, it, is it still stashed, waiting, waiting for Richie to get yeah, over the music thing? Post office account, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so 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 Angie, you you wrote a book. Um, yeah, you've written two books actually, but I let's have. talk about the first the first one real quick. Uh, okay. Anybody who wants to hear more more of these stories, what's the name of this book? The first book was called My Long and Winding Road. And I wrote it when I was about uh, nearly 83 years old. And I got my second one published when I was 90, last last December. So uh, the first one was just my life from growing up in Liverpool during wartime and Hitler bombing us every night and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I left school basically at the age of 11 because all the schools were taken over for people to live in who had lost their homes. So mm-hmm. after the age of 11, I didn't really go to formal schooling anymore. We used to meet once a week uh, in a neighbor's house with our teacher and just chit-chat about, you know, what had happened to our families or whose houses had been bombed or brothers had been injured in the war or whatever and finish with a little prayer and say we'd all meet next week and off we'd go. And that was the really extent of my schooling except until we got in the air raid shelters every night when my mum was a real stickler. She'd had a good convent education and she used to rigidly drill my sister Joan and I with our our times tables and multiplication tables and Mm -hmm. crossword puzzles and spelling bees. So I think Mm -hmm. really that's where I got the bug to want to write when I grew up. But uh, Mm. the first book... Sorry, the first book was published by somebody in England, but you can all, people still buy them occasionally, and I've got a few left here. And uh, the second one was just, oh, during last year, a few people said, you should write a book. And I said, I've done that. And they said, well, write another one. So I did. It's much easier now with computers, of course. You know, mm-hmm. just every time I think of something, I can go to the computer and open a document and jot it down and save it for a rainy day. So, uh, yeah, we, the second one is called Your Mother Should Know. And it's got the addition of connect codes in it. You know the little square things that look like a bathroom tile? You can <laughs> yes. download, yeah, you can download the app, the uh, QR codes they're called, quick response mm-hmm. codes. And they have them on a lot of packaging in grocery stores and stuff like right. that. 
Mm-hmm. And then book. So Ruth had the idea, let's put QR codes at the end of a lot of the chapters in the new book. And when you click on them with your smartphone, it opens up either a link to a YouTube or a Patty Marconi video or a BBC television show. So you really get sort of double the bang for your buck with that one. A lot of people are really finding it very interesting mm-hmm. to see a lot of the early footage of the Beatles and, you know, when they first arrived in America and uh, when they got the freedom of the city at the Liverpool Town Hall and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. We've been able mm-hmm. to capture the newsreels. So, uh, yeah, it is. You, you brought you brought the, the whole, you know, book industry into the into the yeah. into your book, into the 21st yeah, century. One, one and... other, yeah, one or two other organizations got in touch with us since and said, what a great idea. Can you help us do this with this, a certain couple of books which will be coming out in a few months? So we're hoping that that will make us a few pennies and give us a bit of kudos, which is very important these days. So if anybody oh. does want either of those, they can go to the website that's com, And in there, there's a shop and all my teas and both of my books and all kinds that's, of fun stuff. Yes, that's right. You also you also have your teas. So people can go yeah. to the website, as she said, com. You can yes. have her teas, which I, I highly recommend the I'm I'm a stickler for no caffeine, so her herbal teas I can, I can highly recommend. They're they're wonderful, yeah. wonderful teas, yeah. and I have both her books, and I haven't got finished reading her second one yet. But I want to thank you, Angie, so much for appearing on the show. And as I said, we don't want to give it all. Yeah, we don't want to give it all away. We'll, we we want to you know let those people let them buy the books. Wonderful oh. stories. And well, we do make donations from the sales of both the books and tea to the Linda McCartney Breast Cancer Centre in Liverpool. So, uh, like when we can, well, you know, I mean, the postage costs quite a bit these days. Um, uh, <laughs> I've had a few great experiences of tea going missing for days until I start playing hell with the post office, and then woo, they find it and deliver it. But <laughs> is it amazing how they how they can do that? They can find it just like that. And, and deliver it. Yes, but I, I, don't, I don't want to be thought of as criticizing the poor old post office because I think they do a hell of a good job. That they do. They're, I can't. I cannot complain about my my personal no. post office or, or no. anything. And and uh, anyway, thank you, thank you so much, Angie, for talking with me. My absolute and pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Wonderful. Until next week. This is Jennifer Vanderslice, and I saw the Beatles.